You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hey, everybody, we're back. Welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. We've been on two weeks. Two weeks. Kind of a little mini sabbatical. My earring is glowing. I got to get it going the right direction there. Um, I want to do like a we're back dance. We're back. Oh, we're back. Hey, y'all know, y'all know, y'all remember that? We back. Yes, it is so good to be back. This is the show where we discuss all things related to God, life, and the Bible from a historically Christian worldview. And we missed on some big events that happened while we were gone. The world lost its mind. The world lost its mind. We were gone for two weeks. And like the world like went topsy-turvy. We, we kept saying like, oh, mind. that would be a good topic. But we're not having a show this week. Yes. Yes. There were a few good things. And we've selected out a couple of those things. Yeah. But before. On. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into that, make sure if you're on Facebook or YouTube, like us, share us, um, yeah, and get in that chat box. Click Let's on that get, share button right now. Yeah. As the spirit leads you, just go. And just even if it don't it. lead you, just do it. <laughs> there have been so many things I have done that the spirit has not led me to do. <laughs> just do it. Just push that share button. That's right. Um, and uh, helping us behind the scenes tonight is our fearless leader, Bob, uh, official button pusher of all the things. Oh. <laughs> and in the background there is Abby. And uh, Hello. Hello. Okay. Is this working? Yeah. I hope okay. so. Abby's getting some more pictures of us behind the scenes and helping with the soundboard. So we're doing big things here in our living room. <laughs> yes. Because, you know. Our former school room. Now living room. So... And we do want to encourage you to support our show sponsor, uh, Family 210 Closing, which does not stand for the 210 Freeway, my friends. No. No. It is, and it's not an area code. It is based on Ephesians 210. And uh, go browse Bob's designs. Bob, you have a design of the week to tell us about. Indeed, I do. Today's design is, uh, let's see if I can pull it up here. Uh, there we go. Hallelujah more, worry less. So this design is something you can proudly wear, knowing that uh, you're not going to worry about things. You're just going to praise the Lord. And so. based on, uh, is it First Thessalonians 5.16? That's what it says. Yes, Thessalonians right. 5.16. Oh, that's a typo. I should say First Thessalonians. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ for you. So there we go. There we go. I feel like that could be like a song. Like <laughs> if I was in church, I'd be like, hey, hallelujah more. Worry less. Hey. I don't know. That's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's one of them days. When I need to hallelujah a little bit more. That's Keep right. Me close to the cross, y'all. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's a lot of, lot of things to browse there in the shop. And we are now also on Amazon. We have selected styles on Amazon. So if people yes. are on Amazon, yeah. they can catch it there. Just search for a Family 210 on Amazon. You'll find us. Cool. Yes. Next week, I'm going to wear my shirt. I forgot to wear it this week. And it would have clashed with my lipstick anyway. <laughs> but um, next week, I'm going to have my Family 210 shirt on. I love it. I love it. And we do appreciate all your support. It's a very practical way to help support what we're doing here um, at All the Things. Yeah. So, and just helping continue to um, help us 
in invest in uh, expanding the show, making it better, improving our process, and keep and the lights on. Keep the lights on, folks. Yes. Let's be real. Keep the lights on. Okay, we got to have real talk. We need like a family discussion. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. So let's keep going. Um. Right. Before we get into the show, we do have a big announcement. We do. Yes. Drum roll, please. I don't really know if that's a drum, but that's kind of my rumpa pom pom drum. All right. Um, we're going to be talking at the WIA conference. And if you don't know what WIA stands for, it stands for Women in Apologetics. They have an annual conference held at Biola University in January. This year, it's the 24th and 25th. It's coming up quick, even though it's kind of like, oh, it's in January. It's next year. It's really. No, no, no. Next year is right now. Right now. And now is the best time to get the lowest price. Mm-hmm. So uh, Monique and I are going to be doing a little uh, dog and pony show on critical race theory. There it is. <laughs> We're see there it is. We're going to try to do something together. I've never in 25 years of teaching ever done something with someone else. So we'll see how that goes. We you know, not me either. So hey. yeah, I know we're both uh, very mouthy and opinionated. So we'll see. That is, is, that's very true. That's very true. And yet here we are. I know. Look at us. And thanks, congratulations. Thanks to our friend Jane Pantig, who's giving us a warm up event tomorrow night, uh, also at Biola with her Rashio Christie group. Uh, we'll be speaking tomorrow night um, at Biola, uh, mm-hmm. or not tomorrow night, Monday, Monday night. night, Monday night. Yes, and so Sunday we will rest. Yes, <laughs> try to get the finish the talk, get yes. it together. That's code for prep. Yeah, <laughs> but that's going to be sort of our warm up event uh, is on Monday night. So if anyone lives in the Biola vicinity and you want to jump in and join us on Monday night, you can do that. You can look up the Biola Rasha Christie group. But now is the best time to register for and WIA. What's the uh, website? Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's womeninapologetics.com. And you can go there and get the best price. Oh, there I am. Right there on the end. And yes, that's there, from last year. That's from last year when I was the plenary speaker. And they made me wear that microphone over my ear. That was fun. Uh, so, but yeah, it's a great time. Bring yourself. Bring your teenagers uh, and it's not just for women. It's just that the, there's women speakers there. Yeah. But but men are welcome. It's not a women's conference, although the majority of uh, the people oh, are God. women. There I am again. I'm I guess I'm on the banner. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yes, you are. So it's okay. women in Yes. Mm-hmm. Check it out. You can see some of the topics and some of the other speakers that will be there. Yeah. People who will be leading breakouts. It'll some be... of the people that have been on this show. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you really love the show, it's going to be a great time because a lot of the, our friends from WIA are are there. Okay. Let's talk about the show. What's the rundown? Um, well, we're going to start off with a little kicker. We're going to talk about Kanye and his conversion. Bless him. Yes. 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 Oh, I feel it in my spirit. We've been um, getting a lot of email messages. Yes. What People... do you think? Is it real? I yeah. don't know if it's What's right Monique's out. opinion about Kanye? Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Nobody wants my opinion. Nobody's leading it. me into that. But <laughs> I always have an opinion about something, people. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about that whole Beth Moore, John MacArthur fiasco. Getting the DMs about that, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who needs to go home? Can yeah. we all just around for a little while i don't know i got some opinions about that okay all right and then i learned today because a viewer wrote in about the brick bible and i was like my bible is leather bound 
<laughs> but yes, Woo, there's the a brick thing. Bible. It's called the Brick Bible. And I guess it has little naked Adam and Eve Lego people on it. So we're going to talk. About yeah, this. I didn't know this. this. But, um, what? Really? Yes. yes. Who? I feel like this Bible is highly inappropriate. But um, is it for children? Should you buy it for your child? Is it a wolf in sheep's clothing? We'll talk about it toward the end of the show. I don't know. I've never heard of it, but now I'm going to learn all the things about the Bible made out of bricks and Lego people. If you have a leather bound Bible, don't feel bad. So do I. <laughs> naked, naked Lego people. There it is. Okay. Um. Oh my gosh. So and join us on the chat box. We want to hear from you. We love all of your engagement and your questions. Oh, good. Auntie's watching us. Laura Hartley. Reading, yes. Hello, Kimba. Rhyme his song. Hello. Oh, rhyme his songs is there. Hello. Who I've learned her name is Wendy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Wendy from Texas. If you go over on the Facebook page, she was. All right. Yeah, I know. All this time I had a little story made up that maybe she was black. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know that we maybe are. I thought she was a rap artist. Why? Because it's a rhyming. This is how I think. Rhyming is rhyming. Yeah. Or a poet. Like maybe she's a slam poet. I don't know. That's what I've been thinking this whole time. I don't know if Wendy's really a slam this poet or not. This is my look of confusion. <laughs> this is and... the confused look. Right. Yeah, but we'll keep going on. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Wendy. Yes, we are glad that you are here. All right. Um, okay, race let's get into it. Race ethnicity does not matter. We are just glad that you're you here. You just want me to notice it. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Let's start again. All Welcome right. to all the things. This is the show. Yeah, this is Where we discuss show. all the things. Okay. All right, well, Kanye. Kanye. What in the world has been going on with Kanye West? I don't know. I feel like... Help us understand. Everyone kind of lost their mind a little bit on both sides. Um, So Kanye came out and was like, me and Jesus, we're a thing. Like, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. It's all good. Here's my gospel album. Yes. I'm going to convert to Christianity and I'm going to lay down some tracks and just... Do, do, we have, do my little thing. Yeah, and so, so you, he you can came get out, it on uh, iTunes. Yeah. And it's called it. Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Mm. And, and uh, you can get, uh, here's the songs. There's not a lot of songs on here. Really, the whole album is about 30 minutes. And, um, you know, most of these songs are maybe like three minutes Not even less. three minutes. <laughs> the longest song on here is probably two and a half minutes. I think they're really short, but it's not a, necessarily a critique of the album, but right. like the it's, whole situation. Um, and I didn't know anything really about Kanye other than like his, his name and mm-hmm. and... I learned that he's a rap artist. Yeah, so Kanye can be a complicated figure. Yeah. Um, I have not, and I'll be honest, not that I just, I don't really care for rap music, a lot of like hard rap anyway. So you're not a um, super rap? I'm not a super rap person. I'm not a super Kanye fan. The same way I'm not a super 50 Cent fan, you know, so. Is that another rapper? Yeah. Okay. So it wouldn't be like, oh, I just, like I'm hating on Kanye or anything like that. No. Um, But. What were your favorite parts of the album? Like, cause you and I both listened okay. to it a few times. So my favorite parts are the album of of the album are the more gospely, the choir, um, choir, big choir. Cause you can you can hear all the parts. Like you have the sopranos over here and the altos. I'm like, go oh, altos, cause I'm an alto. I don't sing, but I still would be considered an alto. <laughs> I can you know fake it in a little section. Um, so I really enjoyed that part. 
I think that he drops quite a bit of scripture, and so I like that. Um, I yeah, I liked um, aspects of the album. Like, I'm not, I don't know anything about rap music. Like, I don't, I couldn't evaluate. Like, oh, this is a very good song, or you know, some of the songs sounded kind of incomplete to me. But mm-hmm. maybe that's just how rap songs sound. No, I don't know. No, I just uh, I was like, some I don't of them know. just sort of end a little peculiarly to me, but. Um, I did like some of the themes that he touched on, like repentance and turning away from your sin and that Jesus would set you free from addiction and holiness and the importance of living a Christ-like life. I mean, to me, those are... I've been listening to a lot of 80s Christian music lately. Lately? (laughs) (laughs) You just called me out, didn't you? Sorry, I was... Carry on. So... Uh, but I was noticing the the thematic differences between Christian songs in the eighties, where there was a lot more conversation about holiness and living a Christ-like life, turning away from your sin, um, kind of feeding, uh, the Holy spirit and, and killing your flesh, you know, and, um, those sorts of themes, you don't really hear people talk about that today in Christian music. But see, I thought you told me that earlier and I had to think about that. And I started to think about black gospel artists, CC Winans, Yolanda Adams, um, goodness, Fred Hammond, um, Jay Moss. Like, I feel like there are people who would, who would, bring out some of those things, like some of those true, like enter into worship, like let's worship the Lord. Let's like go for broke kind of in our worship. Yeah. I don't know that. But turning away from sin, you feel like that's there in gospel music. Cause I've the gospel music I know of is like eighties, nineties. I don't have too much in the last 20 years, but you feel like that theme is still there of, you know, living in holiness and trying to turn away from your sin and, like, I'm thinking of, like, Keith Green and that sort of thing. I mean, that's just, like, straight up, you know, calling calling us to a higher place of holiness and forsaking our sin. You don't hear that conversation coming out of Bethel and and Hillsong and stuff. It's, it's more of the worship of heaven and identity. Identity is a big theme, and I'm not against identity as a Christian. That's great. But it seems like... Right now, the season that we're in in Christian worship is like 80% of the songs are the theme of identity. And we don't really talk about sin and turning away from our sin. And I liked that component of Kanye's lyrics, but maybe I'm way off. I think that it's the—I I don't know. I was thinking about it earlier. I think that that is kind of the Bethel Hillsong vein of like pop—not pop worship, but like— this contemporary, this is really popular kind of worship. Everybody's adopting these worship songs kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would be, I'd be interested to get your take on some of the, the gospel that's being put out even now. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to have a worship episode coming up. Yep. We have someone recruited that mm-hmm. we're super excited about. Yeah. So oh, that, that conversation is coming. We want to say hi to our friend Juad. Uh, he says he's missed us very much. Glad to see you. Uh, we're glad to see you, brother. Yes. And we're glad that you keep tuning in. So for people who may not know, um, like me, Ding Ding, Keith Green was a guy. Oh. He, yeah. 
Showing my age. That's what she's trying to delicately tell no, me. No, I'm that. not. I'm serious because I'm like, is this something I should go listen to now? I, I just, I, Keith Green was kind of in the, the latter part of what's called the Jesus movement in the late 70s, uh, mid to late 70s, early 80s. And um, the Jesus movement was sort of like uh, hippies who had converted to Christianity. It was a big part of 70s culture. And Keith Green's music was just so hard hitting and prophetic for Christians and calling them to a higher level of holiness. Was and, was he around with the oh, I can't even remember their names. The they were like sisters and they acts the the, oh, the second acts sisters. Chapter, second the, chapter of Acts. Okay. Yeah. I have a friend who yeah. Contemporary with that. I don't know for sure if they were coming out of the Jesus movement or not. They might may have been, but he was definitely like converted during the Jesus movement. Okay. It would be like Larry Norman would be another one in that. But we'll have a whole show about that maybe someday. Like odd trivia that Krista knows about about the Jesus movement. There it is. I yeah. Okay. So but I think that, you know, let's well, let's first break this down about his conversion, because we're already getting some comments about you know, should we really, uh, how, how do we think about this whole conversion? Do you, do you, what's your perception? Do you think he's a legit Christian or is this one huge publicity stunt? Okay, let's go down this road. All right. It might be a little rude <laughs> and maybe off-putting. I don't know. Well, I was going to say I don't know that I care. That's wrong. I do care and I care a lot. I don't know that it's my business to kind of weed through his conversion. I don't know that I believe that it's my place to be. He ain't really saved. You know, that's just for publicity. If he has made an open confession saying that he is converted, that he is now following after Christ and he believes in Jesus and is living according to this, I feel like my responsibility as a Christian would be to welcome him into the faith until he proves and shows me otherwise. Now, he definitely can be a conundrum, I think, and and has been. Yeah. But when he put out um, the album with Jesus Walks on it, that album, I mean, yeah, that song, Jesus Walks, and then there's another song on there that talks about God and talks about... Well, he has All Fly Away on that same album which is an old gospel song. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a there's a, a song that's not I'll Fly Away that speaks about like um, just God and like that relationship and our yeah. relationship with God. And so I, I think that he has been on a journey with his faith since that album came out maybe eight, nine years ago. Yeah. You know, I don't know that this was a, you know, I woke up two weeks ago or a year ago, two years ago and decided that I'm just now going to, you know, follow God. And now I'm going to openly confess and put out a rap album. I think this is something that he's been journeying with and toiling with, wrestling with um, for a while. When, um, well, I think I I listened to the Jesus Walks mm -hmm. song Mm -hmm. before the show. It's actually a pretty interesting and cool song. Mm -hmm. Um, I think your sound is on. No. Are you on mute? I am on mute. Oh, okay. But I hear I it too. I, I can hear I do hear it. I hear one of us. It, it's not me. Okay. Yeah, there, it's me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the Jesus Walk song is sort of an expression of, I really want to be closer to God, but I'm afraid to talk to him. I see the devil is, 
is luring me um, and destroying my life, but I'm really not sure what to do about it. Yeah, and not only am I like that he was afraid, but that he may have felt unworthy. Even yes, that's a better to, way of you saying know, it. To, yeah. to go to the father. Um, and then you have th- the things that happened after that. I believe, yeah, I believe his mother died after that album. Um, now, was his mother a Christian? I mean, do you know anything about that? Okay. I don't. Um, but. So he, before we get into all of his life, though, I want to kind of wrap up this whole thing about like being famous and being a convert. I mean, well, it's 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 complicated. And I think that that's something to to thread out too. like, yes, it is to be it is complicated to be famous and then to convert or so we're making it. I don't know that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were going to have, you know, Tina Smith get saved in church or decide to to have a relationship with Jesus at our local church, how would we wrap our arms around her? What I've seen from evangelicals and, you know, people who don't follow Christ or people in the critical race theory movement, whatever, um, is that there's been this skepticism yeah. from people on all sides of the conversation. And it's like, well, maybe it's a publicity stunt. Maybe he's do- doing this because he follows Trump. Maybe he's doing this because of his mental health stuff. He, there are so many reasons. Oh, so you don't, maybe um, we shouldn't really believe that he's converted. Yeah. Who made you Jesus? I'm not sure that that's our place to question that. It, it, at this point, what we know is it certainly seems sincere. It does. That, that's his, my perception. I mean, the interview he did with Apple Music, you can go on YouTube and watch it. And he makes some interesting and powerful statements. Like, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a son. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the thing uh, with him and James Corden for, the, I don't know what his show is, The Late Late Show or something. And he had like a 20-minute bit mm-hmm. um, with him. And he, the it things his, that he... Um, Carpool karaoke, except yeah. he did it in the airplane. Airplane with, karaoke with, with all of uh, Kanye's choir, yes. and uh, it was very nice. And and I think that the statements he made in there lead me to believe either he's an A plus actor or this is completely sincere. Yes, and I I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it's sincere and pray for him that he gets some solid people in his life to disciple him. And help show him the way, just as I would for any new convert. And that's my point, is that because he's famous and because of the life that he's led before, I feel like people are more um, apt to scrutinize or to be skeptical and things like that. And I just don't believe that that is the way that we should surround anyone. Everyone has a, a story. Everyone has a past. And so just because he's famous with his past doesn't mean that we as the church should not rally around him and support him on his journey. Here's my concern in all of this is that I would, I would have this concern even if he wasn't famous, but especially because he's famous is he's kind of getting pushed into almost like this leadership figurehead role of this icon of a Christian convert. And Paul gives us, you know, a warning about that in first mm-hmm. Timothy three about, you know, an elder or a leader in the, in the local church should not be a new convert mm-hmm. um, because they might, um, he gives a couple of reasons. One is that they may become conceited, um, but also that, that they may get deceived by the enemy and because they just don't know that much. 
um, kind of the pattern from historic Christianity has been that new converts, you want to help them take their time. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to dampen their excitement, but you also want to lead them through a process of learning. And in ancient faith churches, they kind of have a like a year-long catechism process that they lead people through. It's a time of learning, asking questions, uh, and counting the cost of if they really want to go down this path. Um, I think it's it's kind of, I, I just hope that Kanye has some good people in his life that will help him yeah. grow in his faith and train him properly. And it does seem like he's he's got this preacher that kind of follows him around that does seem to preach actual sound doctrine. So I'm somewhat hopeful that maybe he has those voices in his life. So and I also think that as Christians watching all of this, it is our responsibility to be praying for him so that, you know, we, we are even spiritually speaking into that space um, because we don't want it to be a situation where it's like, you know, he falls away or chooses to walk away or, yeah. you know, becomes entangled with other things. It, I, I agree that that time um, that the early church used or, and um, that ancient faith still used today is so important in learning exactly what it is you believe and why you believe that and taking that time to really strengthen your own faith. And, and maybe I think the best case scenario is somebody like, you know, because all roads lead to Johnny Cash. And well, that's interesting. <laughs> so, but Johnny Cash is an example of somebody who kind of grew up in a, in a Christian family, fell far away from the Lord and, and then came back to faith. And in that case, um, you know, he became quite outspoken about his faith and he did make gospel music as well as radio music and explored that artistic journey of how to have both of those worlds mm-hmm. together. But in that case, it was a famous person becoming a convert who it was genuine and sincere. And um, so hopefully that will be similar for for Kanye as well. So I hope so. Yeah. We wish him the best. Definitely. Now, <laughs> I saw a tweet. By a Christian CRT person. Okay. Uh, I've seen many tweets. Yes. By Christian CRT um, people. Saying that Kanye's conversion may be 100% authentic and also 100% colonized. Now, help me make sense of that statement. Because I, I when I first saw it, I was like, I have no idea what what this person's saying. But since then, I've seen a lot of similar comments around this. So I'm just wondering if you can help kind of step us, uh, step throwing us it through that. Throwing it out there at me, huh? Yeah. I wasn't expecting that one. Okay. Okay. Um, one of the things that I, I see people giving a lot of flack for is um, the fact that, one, he supports Trump, but two, he hasn't... Um, spoken up 
in more of a woke fashion. Um, so there, what what's being said is that while it may be authentic to him and his, his conversion, heart, yeah, his conversion, his his heart truly may be to follow Jesus. What he is doing is participating in a faith that is colonized, a faith that is um, a colonized you know, version of Christianity. Yes. Okay. So a more white American version of Christianity that would not necessarily speak out for the marginalized or the poor. It would be, um, it's a very critical race kind of, kind of situation or it not even kind of, but it is a very critical race, um, definition. It is, it, yeah, it would be the, the faith or the Christianity of so white, white evangelicals. This kind of brings us in a little bit more of his story and his journey, because we said earlier, you know, like, it's not like this is a brand new theme in Kanye's music is exploring faith and in, in Jesus and that sort of thing. But he will say himself like, Hey, I was, you saw me at the Grammys running around drunk, carrying mm-hmm. a bottle of Hennessy, um, acting a fool with Taylor Swift and interrupting her on stage. Um, his mother died. Potentially he had a period of mental instability um, so he's, he's, he's been in a journey for a while yeah. and it's had a lot of steps and phases. And a couple of years ago, he started getting chummy with Trump, with Trump mm-hmm. and he kind of got unwoke. I don't know what that word is, but he kind of came out of, he started to just think for himself and have, that's different, what he, he would say. He yeah. just had different different opinions and views than he became the sort majority of, of what some people had who, you know, black culture. Yeah. So that I'm wondering if those things play into now this, some of the criticisms of, well, you're friends with Trump. So this must be a colonized gospel. Do you see anything in his music that reflects colonized thinking? Well, if I subscribe to critical race theory, then yes, okay. there would be that. There isn't like an overt speaking out against marginalization or against um, injustice, um, against the poor, those kind of things. Um, so there is, I think there is that. But then I th- I also think that Black people, and this is just my my take on us um, is that we can be quick to ask questions and we will ask a lot of questions. We want to know who, what, when, where, why, how, and we, we can just make it all fit together and come back around again three days later and ask the same question to make sure we got the same answer. And so some of the questions that we're asking is where were the white evangelicals who are now supporting Trump a couple years ago when he was speaking out against black issues or, or, or you mean supporting Kanye Kanye. Yeah. yeah. So sorry. Um, where were, where were the white evangelicals support of Kanye when he was speaking out against not Trump, but against Bush um, or when he, you know, took a stand and was like, well, I'm a black man and X, Y, and Z, or the fact that it seemed like the, the support of, Kanye really dwindled after this, after the Taylor Swift thing, you know, but now that he is, you know, saying, oh, well, I support Trump and he's coming out as a Christian and 
not speaking out necessarily against marginalization and things like that, it seems like white evangelicals are really supporting him and saying, yes, we like your conversation. We like the things that you're promoting. And so what I see is that a lot of um, blacks are like, or not even just blacks, but people who definitely promote a CRT view. But then um, I think on Twitter, I've seen people who, I don't know necessarily support a CRT view, but um, are black and they're like, well, wait, is the is the conversation? Sorry, I was just kind of distracted okay. by what's happening. Um, is the conversation you're supporting him because he promotes the propaganda and he promotes what you like, or is there something else? Like, why all of a sudden all of this support? And I think that that can look like a bit of divisiveness. Um, but people are just asking questions as to, well, wait, what what happened? Were you riding with him? Did you like him all along? Or do you only like him now that he's supporting your agenda? And I think it's interesting that there's a thought that somehow the gospel, that someone would only support the conversion of somebody because of a political agenda. I, 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 I'm sure that there's those people out there. I, I don't know who those people are. I mean, in the people I've interacted with and seen on Facebook who are white or non-critical race theory advocates who are looking at Kanye now, it's more of a curiosity because he's a celebrity who has converted. It's, it's not anything to do with Trump. Like I got a lot of Facebook friends who don't like Trump at all, but checked out the Kanye album simply because of the conversion story. Mm -hmm. And I don't see, I don't think, I mean, I, I understand the critical race theory narrative that, well, this is why you're, you're supporting him now is because of his friendship with Trump and it's this colonial gospel, but I'm, I'm not sure that that's not a straw man that, that, that I'm not sure that, that's accurate. I think there could be other reasons, other motivations why people are interested, especially non-critical race theory, white people are interested in Kanye's story. I listened to his album and I don't know nothing about rap music, but I did it because we were doing this show for research, but I probably would have listened to it at least once anyways, just because I was curious about a rap artist becoming a Christian. That's a curious story. Mm -hmm. Uh my husband listened to it one day, <laughs> and uh, I think it was a matter of curiosity. It, it, didn't, it wasn't a matter of politics, but that that helps me understand a little bit more of what's there. I just think for some people, it looks really odd um, that there was really very little mention of Kanye in the evangelical space until now. And yeah, it could be... Um, just because of, you know, the conversion, or it could be because of something else. Um, what well, I, what my hope is, is that it's because of conversion and they really want to support him. Although in my Twitter feed, I've seen a lot of evangelicals who are like, you need to look at him with a second glance. Sure. Which I'm like, oh, womp womp. That's kind of, that's kind of sad. How do we rally around someone, like I said, who is at least confessing their faith in Jesus? Kim, Kimba has a, has a theory. She says, I doubt many Christians were following Kanye once he started calling himself a God or Jesus. Jesus. 
Yeah, there's that. There is that. But I do know a few. I'm not going to lie. I do know a few who who stayed true. Um, let's see what else is going on. The back of my my thoughts are that the Kardashians do anything and everything for money and attention. Um, nah, I don't know that I agree with that. Um, I think there's, I think they could, it could be seen that way. I'm just not sure. Um, yeah, not sure. What else is being said? So I have a, uh, one right. more. I mean, do we want to get into this whole thing? No, no. I mean, you can if you want to. Folks, welcome to our living room. Hi. These are just our discussions. Oh, gosh. You can if you want to. Go ahead. Because when we're talking about a colonized gospel, Mm -hmm. I I think that what people need to understand if they're not in the critical race theory conversation is that there is sort of this dichotomy that's set up by many Christian advocates of critical race theory, that there's the white gospel and then there's the black gospel. Mm -hmm. And... The, that those are two different things. And they're, what they're saying is that Kanye is promoting a white gospel. I would go so far as to say there's a white gospel and then there's the gospel. I agree. I think um, there's a third alternative. But, well, the, but the way that they set it up is that there's only two options. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't say white and black. Okay. I would say there's white, there's a white gospel, and then there is the gospel. Okay which would be the true gospel according to critical race people. So I'm not saying that I believe this, but that there would be, this is the white gospel. This is the colonized um, Christianity. And then there's the true gospel that talks about marginalization that was written by marginalized people for marginalized people. Um, Like all of that conversation comes out of the true gospel. So I guess my question to you earlier, and I still have this question is, is which of the lyrics in Kanye's album promote a white gospel? Every lyric that does not promote talk about marginalization, the poor, anything that keeps those two things distant from the reality of Christianity, then in some ways promotes the privilege and power of a different gospel. Okay. So given that, so it's, it, the problem is the omission. That's what makes it white in the, the viewpoint of critical race theory people. Is, is the omission. That's the problem. I would say that's a large piece of it. Okay. From what I understand, yes, that's a large piece of it. So for them, when I say things like, here's my understanding of the gospel. God came to earth in the form of the God-man, fully God, fully human. He came. He died in my place. He, he, he destroyed... Um, the, 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 the ownership of sin, the flesh, and the devil. And he, he, if I put my faith and trust in him and in his death, I can have a new identity and I can get transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit and be a new person in the spirit and also in the flesh. 
that I can live a different life. I, Jesus didn't die just to forgive me of my sins. He died to, to empower change in my life. And this is why Kanye says things like he can set you free from addictions. That that, that is the good news. And that that good news is for everybody, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, no matter what your race is, no matter what your background is, that good news can be for you. That offer is there if you choose to accept it. Because I have left out social location of Jesus coming for marginalized people in a special way, that is seen as a white gospel. Do I kind of have that right? Give me a second. I got to wrap my mind all around it. Um, I'm trying. I know. And I am wrestling. I am wrestling. I think that that is part of it. I don't know that it is specific to location because we would or we could say that there are marginalized people here. You can say the wealth gap creates marginalization. You can say education creates marginalization. Housing location creates marginalization. So it doesn't have to be this, you know, person living in the Sudan who is a marginalized person, marginalization can occur in first, second, or third world countries. Okay. So, yes, like the omission of talking about real issues that are impacting people even here would be an issue. What would I have to add? Like, what is the belief that I would have to add to that gospel presentation that would make it woke. <gasps> You're trying me today. Jesus, help me now. No. <laughs> I'm just re- inquiring minds okay. want to know. I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of like the lyrics of one of the songs, but the addition to me would be maybe something along the lines of talking about like, the injustice or the the racial disparities in police brutality. Okay. So bringing that in, like... Um, but is that part of the gospel or is that an outworking of the gospel? Well, it depends on how you look at things like love and equality or um, how you look at life and who we speak up and speak out for. If, sure. If, if those are key components for you, then that would be a part of the gospel. I don't know if I agree with that because to me, that sounds more like, and I just did, I'm doing a teaching series right now on YouTube on the law. Mm-hmm. And the, the video that I released this week was about how love is law, not gospel. Love is a response that we have to the gospel, but it's not the gospel itself. That's something different. And what I hear uh, critical race theory people do is it feels like they want to redefine what the gospel is by adding law. That unless you do these things, then it's not good news. And I would say, no, The good news is that Jesus came and I receive a free gift. Mm -hmm. But then my response to the gospel, I do out of a gracious expression for what God has done for me. And that's love. Mm 
loving others. And how that love works itself out in the culture can be a great conversation. But that's not gospel. That's law. And okay, so let's say that we agree with that. Um, Even from a critical race theory standpoint, though, I think what the problem is, or what some people would say the problem is, is that you don't see many people speaking out in love, in acts of love, to do those things, to speak out against injustice, to be to speak out against marginalization, to speak out against zoning laws and um, redlining and, you know, things that still today even happen in backroom conversations okay. or sideline things. So it's, yes, gospel, the good news, Jesus came, I have a, a I received a free gift. And now the outworking of that and the responsibility of the Christian people would would take issue with. Like, how do you walk out love? I think for some, they would say you walk out love by loving your neighbor the way that you would love yourself. And if you're loving your neighbor the way that you would love yourself, you would not allow yourself. You wouldn't want yourself to have to, to sure. stay in a red line district. So why wouldn't you speak out for your neighbor who has to, to live in a red line district? And I think that's a that's a fair question. I think that it's a very fair question. But to me, that is an outworking of love, not gospel. And critical race theory, people will often say things like reconciliation is part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's where I part company with them. Because then we're this whole idea of the the, the the white gospel, I'm still trying to get to what is the definition of that? Because these, these Christian critical race theory, people are always saying people like Kanye, people like me, people like my old seminary are promoting a white gospel. And I'm just trying to ask a very simple question. I'm a very simple person. Just tell me what that means. Tell me the definition and tell me what your version is, Mr. Critical Race Theory Advocate, for what the gospel must include that I am not including in order for it to be what you see as the correct gospel. That's what I want to know, is what is it that makes this white? That's the question that I'm stumbling over. Because when I look back in church history all the way to the beginning, and I look at it from a global and historical perspective, what the gospel is, is pretty clear. And it doesn't have anything to do with woke theology and woke speak. Mm -hmm. And Jesus didn't speak woke. And now that's being imported as, and we're being told that's the gospel, but that's law. So it's as somebody who came out of it, I feel like it's really tricky. And I was just reading something earlier today where they referenced the slave Bible. And it was it was in regard to one of Kanye's songs. Um, But they talked about Kanye wanting to use black gospel sounds, but to promote an, an ideology and a framework that also was used to promote slavery and keep people in slavery. And it's that thought process that people latch on to that they then bring into this present day and say, this is still the same thing that was used to enslave, you know, generations of people. Um, And so if that is the case, then what the Jesus that you preach 
is a different Jesus than the one that you want me to believe in or the Jesus that I believe in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just such a hard issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, the slave Bible, did we do a segment about the slave Bible? I did we something. Did. I did, so one of my videos, I covered it about the slave Bible and what that is. It's basically a cut up version of the Bible. They had a big uh, display at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. recently of the slave Bible. And it was a version of the Bible that was used to oppress black people and keep them enslaved. They were only given portions of the Bible right. and the part, the parts that talked about being free, like the Israelites yeah. being free, um, were removed and things like that. Yeah. But it was it was the verses that would keep people enslaved. And this and, is the Lord's will for you to be enslaved. And, like and I think that's things. a fair criticism. It's a fair historical thing to bring up. But I don't think that that makes the, the historic Christian faith a white gospel. It, I don't it's think like the historic... A re, it's a regional aberration for, for a period of time. I don't think the historic Christian faith leads or is a white gospel. What I think is that the American faith, the American Christianity does not lead people back to the historic Christian faith that says, this is how you treat the poor. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. We have a very skewed version of Christianity, in my opinion, today here in America. And it does not speak out against injustice. It doesn't speak out or seek to really do what some would consider enough to benefit the poor. The church is, I guess in my opinion too, very inward looking. And I don't see a lot of things that lead outward. And so that's where I think the room is created for some people to step in and say, this is a white gospel. The church isn't doing this. There's just this space for many people to come in because I think Personally, there's just a gap that's missing in the church. And I think that that's where many people can come in with with views on CRT. It's because people in the church, by and large, aren't trying to have conversations about race. And because they're not trying to, their silence by default is creating a space where people can come in and say, see, you're not talking about it, so it must be this. This is the answer because no one is wanting to speak up. Yeah, I think I would, you and I have a pretty sharp disagreement on the degree to which the church, it does speak into justice issues. Mm-hmm. I I see, I am much more optimistic about the good that the church does. You are far more pessimistic about it. And you don't see, you don't, you and I don't see this issue the same. I, I don't think I would say it in such a way as to say, well, the church isn't doing enough to help the marginalized. The church isn't doing enough to help the poor. I say the opposite. I, I say we do an amazing amount. If you just look at the statistics of the amount of money and time and treasure that Christians donate to helping the poor, it's an amazing amount of, of, of resources that we push into that. Now we could have a conversation about how effective that is and, and whether or not those are the best strategies. That's a different conversation. But I don't see the poverty of effort that you do. For you, you feel like the church isn't doing enough. We're not active enough. You don't see enough. I, and I, I see it very differently. And I think my 20 years in social service really leads me to to looking at things and programs. And it, I, one of my last you know places of employment was a place that partnered with churches. And looking at the space 
where churches don't step into. Like it's not it's not because I want to be a Debbie Downer on the church and like just be openly condemning the church all the time. But it's a space that I've worked in and have spent a lot of time in and can say, you know, there is a gap in what we're doing. And yeah, are we doing things? Sure, we are. But is there more that could be done? Are there other ways that we could be more empowering or more effective with our time and our resource? Sure. Yes. That's and so true. that's where I'm like, you know what? The church is really leaving a space for people to walk in. And it, I can say that because if we weren't, it wouldn't be able to creep in. Like but, it just wouldn't. But don't you think that that is a space that both the black church and the white church have open? Like black churches could do more. Oh, as, I wasn't as... I wasn't giving a, a breakdown or a barrier in white and black. To me, the church is the church. Yeah. And so if the church itself is leaving room open, we are leaving room open. And with this room being open, people are able to come in. It reminds me of that, um, of the, I don't know if it's a parable. You, you the apologist, you can tell me. But the story where um, the lady swept the house clean and then like the demons came in and was like, oh, we found an empty house. There's things that, there's just space. There's sure. space. And because of that space, the enemy is able to creep in. And it's like, look, nobody's filling this space. So I'm going to be, I'm going to sit sure. right here. No one is is willing to have a hard conversation about the black and white issue or the black and whatever issue or white and whatever issue. I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to fill your congregation with lies and division and divisive tactics because no one else is really stepping into that space. Sure. Well, that's we got, just my thought. We got some comments here. Annette uh, says 1 Corinthians 15 is the actual gospel. And yes, it is. It is. Certainly the, the critical and foundational part of it, you're absolutely right, Annette, is uh, the historical facts of the gospel. Your testimony is not the gospel. Um, the gospel is the, the life, death, and resurrection, resurrection and, and the appearances of Jesus. That is the heart of the gospel. However, when we go to um, Matthew and Luke, there's another component of what Jesus calls the gospel, and that is bringing the good news. And what is that good news? It is... Um, he goes everywhere to bring the good news, and he does that through healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. And so it is accompanied by signs and wonders, and it shows Jesus breaking through um, the world, the flesh, and the devil, yeah. you know. And so there's there's a, both of those. Um, it's a hard—this It's this is a hard conversation. What you guys just saw here in the last 20 minutes was us just totally unrehearsed. Yeah. Uh, discussion on things. So Laura Sanders um, says the church is the church. Amen, Monique. The fact that we are talking about the black church and the white church shows us that we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. There's some yeah. comments on Facebook too. Oh, oh, Facebook. We didn't fucking. Sorry, Facebook land. We have possibly just got off and <laughs> forgotten to check you. Sorry. So sorry. All right. We will go to Facebook. Woo. Then we'll switch gears here. Oh, Elizabeth, Rachel. Hey, y'all. Okay, hold on. Oh, my goodness. There's so much. Um, let's see. Of course, you're on the... Of course, you're on the banner. Yes, you are on the banner of WIA. Krista, do you... Krista, you do your research for sure. My game is up, but prophesy if you must. Um, I have the Brick Bible, Rachel. Elizabeth, I wish Christians would stop 
speculating whether or not his conversion is authentic and just start praying that his heart would be good soil and that godly men would come alongside and disciple him. Imagine what good, imagine what could happen in the entertainment industry if he grows, grows deep roots. Grows deep roots. Yeah. Our friend Elizabeth Urbanovitz on it there. So great comments. You guys love it. Okay. And now for something also controversial. Well, there's that. Beth Moore and John MacArthur. So we're going to cover like race controversy and women controversy all in the same show. It's been a long two weeks, people. Get your tea. That's all I'm saying. Get your tea. All right. Are you guys? All right. Fasten your seatbelts. Are you okay? Here we go. So a couple of weeks ago, um, John MacArthur made some statements at the Truth Matters conference um, I've watched actually some of the other talks from this conference. They're now being posted on YouTube, but we'll just listen to about 90 seconds of the audio here of the infamous go home soundbite. All right, Bob, hit it. Need to give a one or a pithy response to the word. Are you feel ready? like I'm being set up? <laughs> that is always the case with Todd. Watch out for him. <laughs> He will try to embarrass you. We're going to start out. This is this is just kind of touching your toes. Easy, easy setup for you. Let's begin with an easy one. The word is Beth Moore. That's two words. <laughs> Literalist. All right. Dr. MacArthur, Beth Moore. How many words do I get? You know... Actually, and, and before you answer this, please think carefully this time, because last time you did a one-word association, yeah, the guy wrote a book a about trouble, it, and no. we don't want that. I was thinking of the same word. Okay. Go home. <laughs> well, I, I see we're warmed up. <laughs> I dilly-dally. Um... There is no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher. Period. Paragraph. End of discussion. <laughs> so let me see if I can get a clarification. Okay. That you can go find the clip and listen to the rest of it there, but or uh don't. Th- or don't. Yeah. Or don't. <laughs> so apparently they've done this word association thing before. I looked up what they were talking about because they said last time a book came out of it. Apparently, uh the the word last time was Stephen Furtick. Uh, and MacArthur said unqualified. And then uh, Pastor Furtick wrote a book called Unqualified. So I don't know. Maybe Beth Moore's next book will be called Go Home. I, if I was her, I would be like, yes, <laughs> let me write this book. <laughs> Good for you. So this, of course, then uh, led to a parade of articles and posts saying that uh, MacArthur <laughs> is a misogynist. He owes every woman on the planet an apology. Uh, or at least every woman in ministry. <laughs> um, and I think that the culture is definitely going to see it as, you know, misogynistic mm-hmm. uh, statement. Uh, what, what are your candid thoughts about it? You you presented a case that I was like, okay, maybe I can try this on. Um, that his worldview is that women shouldn't preach or speak or 
breathe, basically. Sometimes I, I, that's, yeah, I was really disheartened by this, but that his worldview is that women shouldn't speak or preach. And so if that's the worldview that he's coming from, is it considered sexist? Yeah, it, that was the word you used. Yeah. It's because I, yeah, I called him sexist. Um, and, or is it only sexist by culture's definition? I had to really stop and think about that. I still feel like it's sexist, but if that's his entire worldview sure. and the place where he stands upon, he wouldn't see it as sexist. And people who hold that view or that worldview also would not see it as sexist. And so I was like, okay. And then you mentioned that people actually... Or what he what he is doing, he and many who believe like him would feel like he is acting in love. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, even if you don't think that women should speak or preach, where is the love? Like, yeah. there's no love shown here. I don't see this as being love. And I think my analogy to you was like, you know, you can give me hard truth, but can we do it in love? Like, I'm not yeah. going to receive a steak dinner on a trash can lid. You know, <laughs> like, I'm not going to receive your truth when it's just thrown at me in such misogynistic. It's, it's pretty harsh. And and, it, and the laughing yeah. was rough. I mean, it was you know, all rough. The, the, the clip is rough. And I, I just I, I I was a Reformed Baptist once upon a time. And so I've been in these kind of conferences and I kind of have some insight into how these people think. And I, I guess your comment about what well, your initial comment to me was, well, he's just sexist. And I said, well, I don't know if it's true because to say he's sexist is to apply a cultural definition onto a Christian idea. And really he's just exemplifying the position of complementarianism. And if you sincerely believe that that's what scripture teaches is complementarianism, he goes on in the clip, if you listen to the rest of it, to give somewhat of a defense of his position as a complementarian. And his motivation is that his heart is heavy because um, he feels like the church is compromising and caving in. That was the word he used caving into women preachers. Um, and Beth Moore has kind of this become this iconic example of a woman in ministry, a prominent lady preacher. Um, and really what he's expressing is, I feel like the church is caving in on what he sees as a doctrine of creation, that God has created and set things up a certain way. Now, I'll grant you, this was not the most diplomatic or um, kind way of doing it. It was laced with sarcasm, and the laughter was difficult. But at the end of the day, MacArthur is a complementarian. So from his point of view, the most loving thing he can do is say, hey, wait a minute, this is errant doctrine. And, and if you truly believe that in your heart, you would want to save people from an error. 
Yes. And I get that. Like, save me from my error. But can you do it in love? Like, let's just be clear. He was not doing anything in but love. What would it be? He what does that mean? It in just what if it's just telling you the truth with a smile on my face? It That's- wasn't. He- Go home. That it got everyone to laugh because they are. It's a smile. Yeah, but at her expense. I get it. So to me, to me, with that defense, I'm just like, oh, I can tell you anything as long as I get somebody else to laugh. Like, what are we presenting to the world? But but this is how these people think is that that I can tell you the brutal, honest truth. And that is the most loving thing I can do in in. I can tell, I could, I've seen this played out over and over again of like the best example I've, I've come up with is if, if a husband, if a wife comes to her husband and says, do you, does this dress make me look fat? The most loving thing you can do is give her the unvarnished truth of yes, it does. Don't go out in public okay. like that. Now that is, to me, that's different. Now, if your husband comes to you and is like, oink, oink. That's different. Okay. And to me, that was his response. I'll I'll buy that. To me, his response, she is saying, do I look fat? And instead of saying, yes, do not go outside like that, he said, oink, oink. Okay, I'll buy that. That's a, that is not love. I, I will, I will concede that, but I'm just telling you that this is how these people think. It's, it's, let me give you, I'm reproving you in public. That's the most loving thing I can do is is to tell you as as an audience member, as a YouTube viewer, not even necessarily for Beth Moore, but I have concern for your soul, YouTube viewer. But he did not say that. In the clip, he does. If he you, if starts you, out with go home and I, he does it to get to rile people up and I get agree. them laughing he does at it for, her. He does and it. to me, everything else is irrelevant. I, I understand. It's just, I'm just like. Okay, you know. we, have a, we have a question here. What is complementarianism? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yes. So let's talk about that. So complementarianism, I have a video on my YouTube channel about this. I have a playlist on um, gender issues. And there's um, a video about a, a kind of like a three views of, of, of these issues. But a complementarianism, just, just as a really quick and dirty definition, is that God set things up from the beginning, from creation, that men and women would have different roles and that they would not just be anatomically different and soulishly different, but that they would have um, differences of roles and that there's some roles that women do and there's some roles that men do and they shouldn't exchange roles. Now, in the Christian realm, in the New Testament, they would say these passages that I call the no passages that say women should keep silent in church and should not exercise authority over men, um, that those passages refer back to the created order and that God set things up from the beginning, that women should not be preachers and, and that sort of thing. Now, I also say in my video that there's a lot of yes passages that there's the yes passage in John 4 of the Samaritan woman going and she's kind of the first evangelist in taking the gospel back to her village. There's the women at the tomb who go back and proclaim that Jesus has risen from the dead to the disciples. When Jesus gives the great commission, he doesn't just specify men, you go. It seems to be for everybody. 
So we have the yes passages versus the no passages. How do we make sense of these things? The the egalitarian position, which is the other major Protestant position, is that patriarchy in different roles is the result of the fall. But God's created order is equality and that the, the mandate of the Great Commission is for both men and women. So that's sort of like a, a quick and dirty definition. I hope that helps you out um, rhyme his songs. Yeah. So anyways, um, and I should say while I'm on the topic that I am neither a strict complementarian or egalitarian. I get the hate mail. I get the letters. You know, I can't figure out what you are. Well, then I've maybe succeeded because <laughs> I have been working this question through for two and a half decades I, I, for a long time, I thought I was an egalitarian. Well, for a long time, I thought I was a complementarian. Then more recently, I kind of shifted to being more of an egalitarian. In the last couple of years, I don't know, I'm in some weird never-never land of, of a third position because I see a very troubling trend among egalitarians, like the Christians for Biblical Equality people. They're platforming so many people now that are really just advocating for critical theory and critical race theory that their goal seems to be becoming, and I'm seeing more and more blog posts to this effect, their, their goal seems to be becoming wipe out all patriarchy. I'm not sure that's the right goal. I mean, in the beginning, egalitarianism in the 70s was this interesting intellectual project about men and women being commissional together. And I think there's something to that. But in recent years, it has almost shifted to this other idea of feminism and critical theory. And um, it's sort of, I, I feel like it's hijacking hmm. egalitarianism into a, like a not healthy direction. And I'm seeing more and more blog posts to the effect of their goal is to wipe out patriarchy. I don't necessarily think that's the right goal. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm a skeptic about that. And so I am currently in this weird never never land of of things and so I don't know. I I think what's really hurting my heart is all the unbelievers watching. Yes. This conversation. Yep. And watching Christians just eat each other up. And similar to the Kanye problem. I mean, you know, must we eat our own? Must we do that? Can we not like disagree with each other in a civil way? Mm-hmm. Like, why do we have to make Beth Moore the the, the brunt of jokes? Mm-hmm. Like really like appealing to the basest part of us. Shouldn't we as Christians rise above that? You know, can't we do better? Yeah, so- it's like um, we have a saying, don't put your business in the street. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, family, we just putting all our stuff out there for everybody to talk about, for everybody to just look at. And this this family business, can we can we kind of, you know, be civil? And and that doesn't mean that this this should happen, you know, only behind closed doors. We should really consider how we love one another and how we speak of and to one another. Um but my goodness, do we do we have to put it out on social media? Do we have do we have to just be in in this like such a yeah. negative, horrible space? I don't know. Um, I'm not a fan of that. And then let's see. Angie Hamilton said MacArthur has sound doctrine, but it's too harsh in the delivery. And see that that speaks to my point. Like even if he does have sound doctrine, 
how will anyone learn sound doctrine when you present it in a way that's so unappealing that is so like I wouldn't want to hear about Jesus from him if I didn't believe I'd be like no you can take that like I'm I'm sorry I'm, I don't want that because look at look at what you just did to the woman who also proclaims the same Jesus you believe in how do we how do we do that and how do we become better in treating one another. And yet, if that's your worldview, God bless you. I understand that that's the the pillar that you stand on. But how do we make ourselves an invitation for someone else? You can have all the sound doctrine in the world, but if you have not love, you are a clanging gong. I, I don't disagree with you on that. And that's one of the reasons why I left the reformed tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the, the love just wasn't lived out in a way that seemed consistent with the discussions of love that I saw in the Bible. It mm-hmm. was more of the, let me tell you the unvarnished truth mm-hmm. and that's love. Yeah. And once my husband and I kind of started shifting to, wait a minute, that actually doesn't seem like love the way that the Bible describes it. You know, maybe we need to rethink this a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, that that was one of the reasons that we left being reformed. And I will say about, uh, you know, all of these people, you know, Beth Moore, she is, has become very iconic of lady preachers, but there is also this kind of attachment to her of, or big question mark hanging over her of what is her position? Is she drifting into critical race theory. She's very friendly with Ukemeni Wan. Um, Is she drifting into progressive theology? Uh, She's very friendly with a lot of gay affirming leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, She hasn't said anything specific yet, but she has made some things that kind of get up to that boundary. And so part of the baggage with Beth Moore is she's not just a lady preacher who's teaching the historic Christian faith. She's a lady preacher who touches on some questionable ideas. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of adds to the complication of, of the issue. Yeah, I, I agree um, that it does become a complicated issue. I guess what I still come back to is um, complicated or not. How do we treat someone else who professes the same faith? How do we, and even if they don't, how do we treat someone else? Yeah. Do we call people to laugh at them? Yeah, I mean. How do we. We have a a frequent viewer here, uh, Juwad, our Muslim friend, who has a very different worldview Mm -hmm. than we do in some regards. Some of it actually is quite similar to us. But other things, we're going to have some points of departure. Mm -hmm. But we have no interest in shaming Juwad for his worldview. We we welcome him. He's wanted. We love his questions. We want his questions. He's curious about our faith. And he's been a wonderful encouragement to us. All of that speaks to our humanity. Yeah. Like, why can't we just be human with each other? I don't understand. Like, why must everything be about shaming and cancel culture? Yeah. So now Annette um, disagrees with the statement that MacArthur has sound doctrine. Um, she is concerned about MacArthur's views on the relationship between grace and works, which is a whole other thing we won't mm. get into. 
But the question of of MacArthur, I mean, is for sure that he's a lightning rod of all manner of controversies and in, on that. But he he's fairly typical of the Reformed Baptist tradition mm-hmm. um, in teaching kind of the standard beliefs uh, uh, around that. Um, so anyways, all right. Well, those are my thoughts about Beth Moore and John MacArthur. There it is, people. There it is. All right. We are way over time. Do we really want to do this about children's Bibles? I want to do this. Well, let's do it then. I mean, I've, I've, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. This was just an excuse. Okay. So. I don't know what it is that you want right. to do. That It'll surprise you. Oh. Because right? we all know how much I like that. She loves surprises. People send the surprises Monique's no. way. No, let's she, just be clear. She loves surprises. Let's be clear and honest. Christmas is coming. Surprise her. Okay. Uh, let's talk about children's Bibles. Cause I do get this question from time to time. People write to me and they want to know my opinion of children's Bibles. Should I use a children's Bible? Which one do I endorse? Not a big endorser. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm just a big opinion giver. So anyways, I had a viewer write to me, I think yesterday or the day before that her church had sent out a warning oh. about the brick Bible. Oh, they got warnings on Bibles. We need like some perilous warning music. My goodness. Okay. Yeah. So can we Bible. can we put up the graphic of the warning? There it is. Parents, if you've seen the brick Bibles in stores, please be careful. This is a wolf in sheep's clothing. It focuses on sacrifices and death, Lego gore, and God's wrath. It is all law and no gospel. Lego gore? Yes. Have you not seen the Lego movie? And turns out it was written by an atheist who does not think highly of Christians. The foreword was written by a guy who got a master's of divinity from a school that does not believe in Jesus. So there you go. There was the official children's ministry uh, post. Okay. So as a former children's pastor, I'll be curious to have you weigh in on this as well. So uh, the Brick Bible, not endorsed by Legos. It is written by one man, this guy right here, Brendan Smith. Yeah. Okay. So, um, So I went on Amazon. Because that is the fountain of so much wisdom. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. I'm kind of curious myself. Yeah. I feel like I should sit back. Because so, I, I said, well, we have the brick Bible. Okay. There it is. We got two of them in okay. our house. Oh. So. Y'all, pray for me. Pray for my children. They had them. All right. So Abigail had, had the brick Bible because she loves her some Legos when she was little. I still have some. Yes. So. It's it's basically the Bible stories in Legos. It's like some some bad Lego photography with captions. There we go. So that's what it is. Acting out. Uh oh. Looks like uh, Moses fell down there. What is that? Oh. Yeah, Moses died. <laughs> right here. <laughs> okay. Right here. You died. There's God. It always depicts God as this old man with the beard, sort of the neo-atheist depiction of, of God. Anyways, so we got these books. So I went on Amazon and I was like, okay, so let's see what the fountain of knowledge of Amazon had to say about. Oh, hold on. I got oh. to cover up the uh, naked, oh. naked people. Yeah, the people oh. were naked. I don't <laughs> Right on the cover. There we go. We're not that kind of show, folks. All right. We want to keep it all very PG. Yes. All right. So first there were the loved it 
reviews. There was a lot of those. Five okay. stars. Okay. Love, love, love the Lego Brick Bible. But again, not endorsed by Lego. Uh-huh. Bible using Lego uh, creatures. Okay. Then we had the hate it reviews. There were really only two kinds of reviews on Amazon. Loved it and hated it. Yeah. Um, I can't begin to describe my disgust with this book. It, we thought it would be appropriate for our 12-year-old, but nope. Wrong. Why did Lego do this? Well, sir, Lego did not. It is not a Lego-endorsed book. Okay. <clears throat> so I did some I'm more just... research, and uh, the author, I just Googled him, and there was a Reddit post by him, uh, another fountain of wisdom in our culture is Reddit, uh, a place I don't recommend you go not with being, without being accompanied by an adult. Uh, so there was his statement uh, on Reddit about the Lego Bible. He says, I am the creator of the Brick Testament website, the, the Brick Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and um, I'm an atheist. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Sorrow. That is, yeah, okay. So screaming. Okay. So he is actually an atheist. Okay. And I looked up uh, this seminary that is quoted. There is a foreword in the book Uh written by somebody um, that I've never heard of uh, that it, uh, it must be in the New Testament one. It's not in the Old Testament one. Hopefully there's no naked people in this one. Okay. But um, it mentions, it's written, there's a foreword written by somebody, um, Wanda Lundy, professor of ministry studies at the New York Theological Seminary. So I looked up that fine institution, and um, it's sort of an interfaith seminary, um, not completely Jesus-oriented. Okay. We might say progressive. So, um, so in general, the facts are correct in the Facebook post that the books are written by an atheist. Um, and that it is endorsed by somebody from a fairly liberal seminary. But I think what's interesting is that this is written, it says right in the the beginning of it, and most people probably haven't read this, but these are not for children. The author did not write these for children, even though it looks like a children's book. Don't be fooled. They're actually written for adults. And there is some rather interesting and adult content in them. Uh, naked Lego people having sex. So stop. Yeah, yeah. No. I, mm-mm. Yes. <laughs> Elizabeth says you should look at the circumcision <laughs> circumcision passages in that Bible. Disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nope. Don't need to. Don't need to. We'll just. Abby, do you think you can get on that for us right no. here? No. Oh, okay. No. All right. No. Uh, so. Anyway, so uh, we we let these things come into our home, people. Mm-mm. So, uh, you know, Legos are fun and we love them. And actually, there's a lot of good content in here. But I do think that to some degree, you know, like you want to be aware and choosing uh, of what this is. I, I got a couple of alternatives here if you want some different Bibles. We got the um, Action Bible, which was illustrated by some, uh, I think, some Marvel uh, illustrators. Um, it has like, sort of like in a graphic novel form Mm -hmm. and it's published by a Christian publisher. So I'm assuming that they have vetted it, uh, somewhat. And then there's also for younger children, the Jesus storybook Bible that 
um, at the end of every story uh, kind of shows how every story points to Jesus, which is kind of a nice connection. Um, So if you're going to have get a storybook Bible, you might want to consider some other alternatives. But what is the purpose of storybook Bibles? This is a very important question. What do you think as a former children's pastor? Do you think children should just get a real Bible or are storybook Bibles okay? Like, what I'm do you think? I'm a fan of the real, the real Bible. The real Bible. That's that's my take on it. Like, I taught from a real Bible. My kids learned from a real Bible. We learned... The brick Bible? Um, no, not okay. the brick Bible. Um, <laughs> we learned passages out of a real Bible. They learned all of the books of the Bible from a real Bible. Um, I I think that there is a, a place, and there can be a place for... Um, for a children's Bible, especially like for young, young children. But once they get into children's church age, like that kindergarten, they start to read um, and up. Oh, man, come on. Let's let's pull out the Bible. And yeah. I'm going to teach you how do you find Genesis? How do you find Nehemiah? How do you find Ruth? Whatever. Um, because there's any churches out there that would like to hire Monique. Y'all just let me know. Yeah, just just um, the real Monique D on Twitter. But in in all seriousness, they are not sub Christians. They are not partial Christians. They don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They don't have a junior Christ mentality. It's not a junior worldview. So I'm going to teach them according to the way that I would teach an adult just with a little, a little difference, you know? So we're going to learn, this is what this passage means. And I'm going to ask them, what, how do you read this? And here, let me tell you what the author is meaning. Let's look at all of this. What are the books of the Bible? How do I find it? What is a table of contents? If I'm not able, if I'm not old enough to read, okay, now we're going to learn that little area of helps because I'm going to partner you you as a big with someone who was little and you're going to now learn patience and all of these things when that six-year-old doesn't know how to get to Thessalonians, you know? So I don't know. There was a lot that, that, um, that I found helpful and a lot to teach from. Even if like, even if there was no Bible passage to be talked about that Sunday, which would never happen. um, You know, there's so much to be, taught just from pairing two kids up who are different and getting them to look at the Bible together. I love that approach. I think that for me, the only function I can see that a Bible storybook could play is with just sort of as an adjunct or a fun thing to look at to help increase literacy, you know, with the stories Mm -hmm. But in general, I always encourage parents, get them a real Bible. Mm-hmm. Like, don't even get them like one of those reader's Bibles or the message. Get them like the NIV yeah. or the NLT. If they're doing Bible memory work, don't have them memorize the message. First of all, can we just have a little plug here for the importance of Bible memory work? Like, yes. knowing how to look things up in the Bible. Like, can we please just stop dumbing everything down? And let's just talk about that. But... We're going to have literacy, which has been a long part of the historic Christian faith, that Christians were readers and mm-hmm. that we were people of the book. And not just readers, so, but memorizers. Yes. You know, you get so many students in college who don't have a Bible verse memorized. 
You know, I'm like, no, you're in third grade. I know you know how to memorize some things. Let's go on and work this out. That's right. So uh, Rhyme His Songs is coming soon. The All the Things Bible. Lego's not, not included. included. Yeah, you got that yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I think that what's also important is is two things that I think rarely happen. And that is reading aloud. Um, when my older daughter, Emily, was little, I would have her um, listen to the Bible on CD um, every night as she would go to bed. And we did like the major stories of the Bible, like the whole book of Esther Mm -hmm. or the first like six chapters of the book of Daniel or the book of Ruth or the crucifixion and the resurrection and the birth narratives. We like picked certain key parts of the Bible and she would listen to those over and over on the audio Bible before she could even adequately read and it was amazing what her mastery of scripture became just because she was taking that in. And um, she really knows the Bible and um, reading aloud, but also discussing it. Like I, one of my favorite things to do is talk about scripture with my kids. I love to ask Abby questions. Even today we were having a discussion um, as we were making dinner about what does the Bible say on a certain topic? Talk about things. Mm-hmm discuss them. What does this mean? How do you understand this? Um, because that is how you really build biblical literacy. Don't just rely on pretty pictures yeah. in a book. You've got to do the hard work as a parent in um, reading and talking these things through. All right. Okay. Any other thoughts? No. All right. Are that's, we ready to... That's it. My, my brain is okay. out, I think. I'm sorry. It could be. No. It's too mu- I'm talking too much. All right. Check out the show notes Yeah, uh, for the show. We'll put some extra links and resources in there for yeah. everyone. Um, and the big announcement. Oh, yes. There's the show notes graphic. That's us. With our favorite color. Yeah. And we're now on Instagram. Whoop, whoop. Woo. Oh, I thought I sent it to you. you. Hold on. We could be on Instagram, people. Maybe. And we're at ATT Livestream on Instagram. Yes. We have a few posts. We're learning how to navigate all of that. ATT so. Livestream on, right. on, the, That's on okay. the Instagram. On the, and on the gram. And ATT Livestream at gmail.com. If you have any questions or thoughts you would like to email us that maybe you don't want to put on Facebook or YouTube. Yes. And we also have a new video called, uh, we'd love to have you check out, is... How to have uh, more positive, more productive conversations about race. I think we had like 13 somethings about having better conversations. I don't know if we have that graphic either. We don't have it ready. Okay. That's all right. We'll put it in the show notes. It'll be fabulous. Everything is in the show notes, folks. Yes. Everything is in the show notes. All right. Once again, uh, share the show and help to support us. Connect with us on social media. Oh, I don't know if people know. I started a YouTube channel. Yes. Yes, I did. I did. Oh, no, I did. I I, The last time we were on, we talked about it. Yes. Yeah. So go subscribe to The Real Monique Subscribe to my YouTube channel and... um, yeah, I'm going to do a new video soon and put it up there. I'm trying to and, encourage her uh, to make some videos on her own and little ideas that she has. I'm like, yeah, that could be a video. That could be a thing. It could be, but oh, so, goodness. All right. Also catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Get the audio. Take us with you. 
Yes. Everywhere you go. You. Yes. Register for WIA. Yes. Register we would for... love to see you. Yes. And that one we have. Yes, it's coming soon. Now's the time to get the best price. So go there. It's going to be some awesome speakers. Round up the teenagers in your life and bring them along. Oh, the tweet of the week. I forgot about that. Do you want to do that? Uh, yeah, we could do the tweet oh. of the week. Yes, it is. Oh. Oh, we have something new. Oh. Oh, my. At one time when the world exploded. <laughs> wow. You had worked on Bugs. that. I just, I just attend. <laughs> I just come here. Okay, so the tweet of the week is... I won my bracket again for the March Madness. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what this is? I never heard of March Madness. I don't Madness. have any idea. Now, some some guy runs this Twitter page where he does face-offs between apologists. And some of them, quite frankly, are like the Sophie's Choice of of determinations like they had this earlier this week they had bill craig against jp moreland like really? i don't know who like, sophie is <laughs> oh it's a it's an old 80s movie oh, okay jp yeah. moreland was at biola when i yeah. was there and bill but... craig's also there now okay yeah, yeah they're just two very famous philosophers and uh so examples of some choices yeah and, and earlier they had one of our friend uh, natasha crane against um hillary the mama bear gal Hillary Ferrer. It's like, oh. why would you put those two gals against each other? That's 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 brutal. So, yeah. anyways, they have these. Oh, there's my friend Ken Samples, uh, and so they have these these March Madness brackets, and then you have a face off between you and another apologist. Bob says I'm like out of a hundred and something. I'm number forty three or forty two. Forty two. Yeah, there I am. Forty two. So, um, that was the big the big event in my life this week was I won my next March Madness bracket. So does this go all the way until March? I have no idea. Yeah, during March Madness, they're going to uh, I guess have the top sixty four or one twenty eight to uh, you get the vote and everything. So you're in the in the top tw- one twenty eight or something. So all right, do you get something if you win? Inquiring minds want to know. Bragging rights. Bragging rights. You know, oh. I, I, I beat out Bill Craig. I don't know. So, so far. Uh, <laughs> a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people. It's just a fun way of putting people's names out there who are apologists and highlighting different people. Big names, little names. I'm just the little fish in a big pond. Oh. So. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that was it. All right. So this, yes. my friends, concludes the show. Boy, it was a lot. But we were off for two weeks. We were. People, we have had a lot of discussions. <laughs> I keep wanting to look over there. But I should be looking here. Yeah. Sorry, people. <laughs> All right, my friends. Thanks for watching. And we enjoy spending our Saturday nights with you. And we do hope that you will share the show with a friend. And that you enjoyed eavesdropping on all of our crazy conversations, especially the part about race. Tell, we look forward to your comments, your feedback. We love seeing it all. So thank you so much. We'll see you, God willing, next week. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye.